So have you ever, um, you ever had one of those moments that you had to stop and kind of try to process it because the who is doing something didn't really line up with the what they were doing? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like the who and the what, they just, they didn't jive really. Like they just kind of were in conflict with each other. An illustration I think will help. So here's an illustration. Picture in your mind the most beautiful baby you've ever seen. Right? Just picture like the little squishy cheeks. <laughs> like, you know, they got the cheeks, like you're picturing it. And they got those wee little bitty fingers. And they'll wrap all their little fingers around your one finger. And then they look up at you and smile. And that smile just melts your heart to pieces. Like, you know, the, it's probably your own baby that you're thinking of. Or you're thinking of like my sister's baby or my friend's baby or what. But, but well, that's fine. Picture that baby. You've got the baby locked in. Most beautiful baby ever. Innocent, pure, good baby. You've got that baby in your head. So, I was a brand new dad, and guys, I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying so hard not to break my kid because, like, I was out of my league, and yet I knew, like, I want to be a good dad, and so I need to participate. I need to do things. Amy was there to remind me. I need to do things. I need to help. I need to participate. She was so gracious like that, right? And, um, and she was tired, she says. And so there was one particular day, this beautiful, pretty, soft cheek little baby had a wet diaper. And I quickly volunteered, like, I want that one. That's the duty I want to help with, the wet diaper. And so I take the kid, and I'm like, I'm going to go back to the changing room, you know, and I was warm and compassionate. And so I laid the baby down on the changing table, and our changing table was like right in the middle of the wall. So like it was, you know, the bed was over there, and the door was over there, and so this was like right in the middle kind of the hall of the of the wall thing and so it's it's right there and I take the diaper off and I pull his legs back and I grab the next diaper because I'm like this is the easy one this is the one I love and so I go to put the diaper on his legs are pulled back and let me just say real fast time out uh this is a true story this is a completely true story and I'm not trying to be gross this morning I I really I'm not trying to be grotesque in church on a Sunday morning but this is truly what happened I pulled his legs back I don't know what to call it besides poo. Like poo, it shot, guys. This is the important detail. What you call it isn't important. There was substance that shot out of him, and it wasn't like it just kind of came out, and like I was like, oh, I need to catch it. No, it shot, like projectiled. It projectiled across the room, and so my face, and I don't know what I said. I didn't say, oh, because I wasn't in Michigan yet. I would have, like if it was today, I would have been like, oh. You know, so I don't know. I was in Oklahoma, so I don't know what I said. Whatever it was, Amy was walking by the door, and Amy just starts laughing. She's like, I told you to block it. I told you he does that. And, uh, but when you're in the moment, you're, and I look down at this baby's face, thinking about what he just did, and he is so smiley and so happy with the world. And so who and what just didn't equal up? They didn't measure up. And I think that's what makes the life and the mission of Jesus so incredibly powerful because the who and the what sometimes it just doesn't make sense there was one time Jesus was talking with his disciples and he was talking about why he left heaven and came to earth this is Mark chapter 10 verse 45 here's what Jesus said he said even the son of man came not to be served but to serve do you know how powerful that is do you know how incredible it is what he just he said the son of man like, you know what that means, right? Son of man, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, it talked about the coming of the Messiah. It talked about the promised one that would come, the rescuer who would come. And it gives this description in Daniel chapter 7 about the son of man. It says he is one who will be glorious, heavenly, a divine figure, a godlike 
figure who would judge the nations and save God's people. And so what they're expecting is that the Son of Man would come and all the nations would kind of hold and support him up, this great, majestic, heavenly, holy judge. They would hold him up as he would be elevated above all. And so all throughout Jesus' ministry, they said, there he is. There's the Messiah. There's the rescuer. There's the Son of Man. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, yeah, okay, the Son of Man is here. But I didn't come for underlings to serve me. I didn't, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Do you see how that just doesn't make sense together? The Son of Man came to serve. That word serve that he used is the same word that's used to set up tables and to wait on. He said, I'm, I'm going to be a waiter, right? Or, or like, a, like a servant, like someone at a restaurant. He's like, that's what I came to do. I did not come to serve or to be served, but I came to serve. Church, we are in a sermon series on Acts chapter 2. In fact, take your Bibles, open up there now, Acts 2.42. We're just going to be there for a moment, and then we're going to skip ahead. Acts 2.42. And what we're doing is we're looking at the early church. Because there was this moment where you had less than 200 followers of Jesus on the whole planet. Less than 200. Right? So we're talking how many people, roughly, we got stuffed in this room, not counting necessarily the overflow right now. That was like the whole number of followers on the whole planet. That's what they had. And then Pentecost came. And so now you had 3,000 to their number. And so this early church in Acts 2.42, you read it and you're like, oh my goodness, it looks perfect. Like, this is awesome. What you guys are experiencing as an early church, yet we know, don't we? We know that there were people in that church. And so this church wasn't perfect. This church was far from perfect in the first century. But what you had is you had men and women who said, we're going to make commitments together. And we're going to live out those commitments. We're going to be committed to the word of God, to worship, and to prayer. We're going to be committed to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. We're going to be committed to generosity. And then today's big idea, we're going to be committed to a life of service. We're going to be committed to a life of service. So we're going to read Acts 2.42 and following. And here's what I want you to watch for. I want you to watch for the fact that it never says, and then they committed to serve each other. Like they never say that. It never verbally says that. never written says that. And yet, watch how it's permeating everything that we read. Acts 2.42, Luke writes this. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoy the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Isn't that awesome? Like this is the early church. These are the commitments that we made. And we as a church want to follow those same commitments. And so if you're listening, you're probably going, yeah, but it, it didn't say it did it. It didn't say that they were all devoted to serving. But it did, didn't it? They broke bread. How are you going to break bread unless someone bakes the bread? 
You got to bake the bread to, to, to break the bread, right? Someone, someone's doing the work. Someone's serving by baking it. It says that they were listening to the word of God. Someone has to prepare to preach the word of God for you to hear the word of God. That has to happen. They were able to meet the needs of others. Someone has to serve in a way by giving and being generous for that to happen. They met in each other's homes. When life group happens at your house, you ever clean up a little bit? Like, because we do, right? We, we get the floors ready. We try to clean up a little bit. Like, let's give the bathroom a good run through before we start to invite people in, right? So someone is preparing the home to be able to open the doors to invite people. It, it just permeated everything that they were. They were constantly in the process of serving one another. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time, I want to skip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Take your Bibles, 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This passage really deals directly with this foundational issue. In these verses, Peter is writing to this group of churches all throughout the Middle East. This is about two decades-ish. So you're talking about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter is writing to these churches saying, okay, we've got these new churches, these new believers. Let's talk about what it means to do church together. Let's talk about this faith journey together. Remember, this is Peter who's writing. The same Peter who preached at Pentecost and the 3,000 people were baptized that day. The same Peter who is part of the church in Acts 2.42. That same Peter. And what we're going to see is we're going to see three directions for fulfilling our role in the area of serving. The first is you realize that God gives gifts to each of his people. God gives spiritual gifts to each of his people. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. So it says that each of us has received a gift. As followers of Jesus, anyone who's in the body of Christ, we have received spiritual gifts. We've all received a gift that we are supposed to be using. And it says we're supposed to use it to serve. You received a gift, Peter says, use it to serve. And can I just say, that's so different than how our culture is organized and how we're trained to think. Right? That's so different. Take the DSO, for instance, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. If you go to the orchestra, what are you thinking you're going to see? You're thinking you're going to see some of the world's most, most incredible musicians. You're going to see a violinist that has been studying for years and years and years and years and years to protect, to, uh, to, to that's not the word I was wanting. Anyway, to, to get her craft uh, like it is, right? So you watch the DSO thinking you're going to see the best. Or if you go to Ford Field, and it's not a joke about the Lions, like sincerely, if you go see the Lions play, you're going to see some of the most incredible athletes on the planet, you will see, they will do stuff with their bodies that when you watch it, seriously, when you sit there and you watch it, you just think that's not possible. It shouldn't be possible to move that quickly if you're that large. It shouldn't be possible to throw the ball that far. It shouldn't be possible to kick the ball that long. Like what you're doing is, I mean, you don't go to the DSO and expect that on the third song, they're going to pull you out of the crowd and say, hey, you're on cello now. Right? That just doesn't ha You don't go expecting that. You don't show up at Ford Field expecting they're going to grab you and say, hey, we need a 55-yard field goal today to beat the Bears. And you're up. Good luck. Like, you, don't, you just don't expect that. That's why the stage at the DSO is so much smaller than the audience. 
That's why the number of players allowed to play for the Lions on that field is so much smaller than the crowd who's watching, not even counting the people who are watching on TV, right? We go expecting to watch the people who are really good do the thing that they do. As a culture, that's what we're trained for. That's what we do. But can I just tell you, that is not the way it's supposed to be here. That is not the way it is with the church. In fact, what we're told by Peter is that all of us have gifts. doesn't matter whether you're 14 years old or 94 years old. We all have gifts, and we're all supposed to use those to serve, which brings us to the next point. We're supposed to utilize those gifts for the common good, for the common good, meaning for the church. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So now Peter gets more to the point and he uses a command form. He says, use your gifts to serve one another. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? There's not this like, well, unless I'm really not in the mood for like a few years and then it's okay. No, Peter said, which Peter is the guy who got out of the boat, right? Peter is ready, fire, aim, Peter. Peter doesn't mess around. So Peter's going to tell you like it is. And Peter says, hey, everyone, you have been given a gift. And you're supposed to be using that gift. More specifically, you are supposed to be using that gift to build up the church. That's what that gift is for. That's what that spiritual gift is for. So do we, do we serve those outside the church? The answer is, of course we do. Of course we serve those outside the church. We just didn't regress, right? We've got the donuts out here to go serve our community. Here's how Paul says it in Galatians 6.10. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. And so, so Paul, Paul would say, kind of like Bob Goff, you need to love everyone everywhere, Right? It's everyone everywhere. Go for it. And if you encounter people outside these walls, we need to love them. It doesn't matter who they might be. Our job is to love them. But did you see the emphasis that Paul had? He said, and let's go back, especially to those who are the household of faith. So especially right here, Paul and Peter say the exact same thing. We have gifts. We're supposed to use those gifts. Then Peter continues and says, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace, meaning they're not all the same. And I think sometimes this is tough, isn't it? This is hard because sometimes we get passionate about an area, especially an area where we're gifted. And we almost start to think like, everyone in the church should have the same passion I do. Everyone in the church should have the same gifts I do. Everyone in that, why don't they get it? Why aren't they doing my thing that I'm really passionate about? But that's not what's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be serving one another to have the complete picture of the body of Christ. Then in verse 11, he breaks it down into two broad categories. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies we talked about this a lot during the Thrive class this last summer, but there are really all the gifts could fit into two categories, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And you know which category it fits in by saying, where does the power come from? The Holy Spirit gives us the gift and empowers us, and he empowers us either with our words or with our hands and feet. Does it make sense? 
like the power's coming through what you say, the words that you're saying, or through what you're doing with your, with your actions, with your hands. And so he calls us out in these two areas. Now, I think it's pretty normal right about now for you to be there and be thinking, all right, so we're going to break out the spiritual gift assessment right now. You can give us a little test so that I know which one I am because I want to know which one I am. And then we get a sticker, like green sticker means that I have to get to mercy. You know, an orange sticker, like, is that what we're getting ready to do? And the answer is no, no, that's not what we're going to do. But there are opportunities for you to do that. If you have never taken a spiritual gift assessment, there's a ton of them online that are free. You can do our Next Steps Pathways. If you've ever been here and you've been thinking, I wonder how I get moving in my growth process in the Lord, how I get more connected with the church, well, we call that Next Step Pathways. Next Steps Pathways, sessions one and two, are required to become a member here at Woodside. Uh, sessions one and two deal all about, here's what the church believes, here's how we're structured, here's, here's everything you need to know about Woodside, and now we want to know more about you. That's pathway one and two. When you get to pathway four, pathway four, we dive in, we give you a spiritual gift assessment, and we talk about ways that you can be serving within the body and what that looks like. So that's one thing you could do. You could wait and you could go through next step pathways to do that assessment. But my favorite way is to back up, look in the mirror, and practice the ministry of sober estimation. Simply where you say, Lord, where do you work powerfully in me? Not just like, what am I interested in? But like, where, where is it your power that's working through me? That's different, right? Things that my mom and dad taught me, like I was just taught, pick up my clothes, pick up my room, help with the dishes. My mom and dad taught me that's different than the spiritual gift, right, of the exercises. So, so here's what I mean. Maybe you're one of those people that when it comes to pressing your heart button, when it comes to pressing your heart button, you look around and sometimes people have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And as you look at them, you, you are just drawn to people because of your empathy when they're at the lowest points of their life. When they're, they're going through tragedy, when they're going through grief, when they're hurting, when they're sick. Something about your heart breaks into a million pieces and you just want to be right there to help serve them. You might have the spiritual gift of mercy if that's you. And we all are supposed to be merciful but you can just recognize in yourself that this is something that happens again and again and again and again, and you can't help it. It's almost like you're just drawn to it, and it's in that place that the Lord works powerfully through you. Maybe for you, it's the gift of helps. And so someone has a leaky faucet, someone has the, the rail that walks up, and they've got some kind of foot problems, and we're going into wintertime, and the rail is all wobbly. You're just like, you get so excited. You're like, I know how to help with that. I know how to fix that. I know how to deal with that faucet. I don't, oh, you're going to move in? I can carry that couch. And everyone else is like, yeah, the Lord's called me to serve, and so I'm here, and I'm going to serve because they said free pizza, and you got the wrinkle up on your face. And there's other people going, you don't even need to give me pizza. I'm just so glad to be here. And I'm I'm like the hands and feet of the Lord, like this is great. So some of you have the gift of service, right? Some of you have the spiritual gift of faith. We all are supposed to have faith, every single one of us. But there were 12 disciples in the boat. How many got out? One. Only Peter got out. And, and so there's some people who just have this, it's just different. In fact, if you've ever been around someone with the spiritual gift of faith, you've probably looked at them and thought, you're crazy, Right? <laughs> You probably thought that. I, I can't help but think of, of Haiti right now 
and, and Lois. And like you've got this country in turmoil and everything's going crazy. And like literally the students have left. There's the president left on campus and there's her. And I know so many of you were praying for her. But she's like, no, I'll leave when the Lord tells me it's time to leave. I'm not supposed to leave you. I'm right where the Lord wants me. This is right where I'm supposed to be. And those who may not have the spiritual gift of faith, you're going, yeah, I don't know. It just sounds crazy to me, right? And so, but, but when you have the spiritual gift of faith, you just know. Like, you know that that's what you're supposed to be doing. The ministry of sober Stop. Look in the mirror and just ask yourself, when I'm serving, where have I seen the Lord moving again and again and again? Or maybe for some of you, it's hard to look in the mirror. Like, some of you have that. Like, it's, it's hard to really self-evaluate. Like, it just is tough for you. If that's you, what I want you to do is ask someone that you trust who has served alongside you in the church because they're going to be able to identify. Some of you, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you have the spiritual gift of generosity. And we're all called to be faithful and all called to give, every single one of us. But there's some people in this room that because of your generosity, there are people who are going through absolute tragedy financially in their lives. They didn't know what they were going to do. And because of your generosity, they're back on their feet today and they're doing okay. And they're moving forward to the glory of God. There are some of you, because the way that you've given, people were able to get on that airplane and go to Haiti, or they were able to go to Ecuador, or they're able to serve during McRest. We were able to meet those needs because of your faithfulness in giving. And you probably don't even think about it like that. You're like, I mean, there was just a need, and I, I could give the money, and so I just did. And no, there's a spiritual gift of generosity working in you. For some of you, you don't recognize that you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, but just so you know, everybody else already knows. Like, we know that you have that gift. Picture a work day, right? It's a work day. There's 200 of us serving, and we're raking, and we're carrying branches, and there's dirt smeared all over us, but not you. Your gloves are shining clean as ever because you didn't lift one single branch, but you talk to everybody, right? You walk down the line, and you're talking to everybody, and, and as you're talking to everybody, you found one person. And you're like, you're the one who doesn't know Jesus yet. And you don't even know how you knew. Just as you're talking, you're like, but I know you don't know Jesus yet. And so you're sharing your testimony. You're going through the Romans road. And before the day's over, you're both in tears and you're praying. And they're receiving Christ as Savior. And then you're like, where's water? We need to baptize them. Like, let's go. Let's do it. So if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, we already know. Like, we've seen it. Ask your friends. They'll tell you. They will tell you, trust me on this one, this is you. And you're like, I just want to tell people about Jesus. Like, I don't know, it's got to be all weird and all that. And, but, you know, I think that's, that's the thing, though. We, we do make it weird sometimes, though, don't we? We make it the sticker you have to wear. This thing that, like, defines us, right? This is the thing that defines us. Almost like, oh, if I have the spiritual gift of, of generosity, well, then don't ask me to sit with the kids because I can't do that. I can only write checks. That's the only thing I'm allowed to do, you know? And that's, that's not what it is. We're supposed to be. In fact, look, look at Peter's point. Peter's whole point is we are supposed to be serving each other. That's why we have the gifts in the first place. We're supposed to be serving together. And we're supposed to be serving each other. That's what we're wired for. I love how Paul says in Romans 12, verses 4 through 6, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, dot, dot, let us use them. That's the point. We had these gifts 
to use. So Peter gives us three directions regarding God's call to serve. First, realize that God gifts each of us as believers. Two, that we use the gifts for the common good. And finally, that we're supposed to glorify Christ, glorify Christ in service to others. Let's look back at 1 Peter 4 in verse 11. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter finishes his instruction service with this point. We are supposed to do this to bring glory to Christ, not glory to the name of Woodside Bible Church. Not glory to the name of Billy or Kip leading worship or to Pastor Chris Brooks, our senior pastor. Not, not glory to us. His name, his renown is the desire of our hearts. He's the one that we want to bring glory to. So I want you to think about all the talent shows that have popped up in the past decade. You know, like American Idol or America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent. I think all the countries, they all got talent, right? And so they have shows for pretty much every country. Uh, the Russia one has some pretty funny ones. Anyway, like there's lots of them. There's You Think You Can Dance. There's, uh, it, all these shows. Here's what all these shows point to. We're going to start with this big group of people, and in the end, there's going to be one person or one group. And that one person or that one group, they're going to get the million dollars. They're going to get the record contract. They're going to get the show in Vegas. They're going to get their name in life, whatever, right? But that's the entertainment industry. And the entertainment industry... That's what they're trying to do is prop their name up in such a way. But as followers of Jesus, that's not what we're doing here. We come together and we serve each other and we serve together so that his name can become great. That's what we're doing, right? That's the whole point. So two quick questions as we think about this being done in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. What? is your goal when you serve the church. And this, man, this is tough. This is a gut question right here. Why do you serve? Like, what's, what's the, the reason you do it? Maybe, maybe you do it because you're like, they kept asking for kids workers over and over, and I just felt guilted to death, and I had to do it. <laughs> I had to, you know. I just couldn't, my, I was getting guilty conscious. You know, I just had to, maybe that's, maybe you do it because, of people watching. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I want because my kids see it or my friend sees it or the pastor sees it. And here's how you know if that's you. When you're serving, if the right person doesn't see you doing it or say something about you doing it, does it leave you with a bitter taste in your mouth? The whole point is supposed to be to glorify Christ. The whole point is supposed to be to serve Him. It's His applause, not, not our applause, Right? It's the applause of Christ. So, so that's kind of a good gut check question. If when I'm done, the right people didn't see it, the right people didn't say something about it, I get this bad taste in my mouth, that might be a gut check question for you. Or maybe. I'm going to tell you, this was someone in the first service. They actually came up to Amy and told her an, an incredible story. Maybe some of you are doing it because way back when something happened in your life, you did something. Maybe it wasn't necessarily a good something. And so you feel like I need to serve now to pay for that. I need to serve my penance, so to speak, right? I, I got to do this thing now because what I did here was so rotten and so bad. Like, I, I have to serve now because I'm just hoping that God will forgive me. That's why I'm serving now. I'm hoping that God will overlook that thing that I said that I did 
that I didn't do. I'm, I'm hoping that God will accept me in and wrap his arms around me and tell me it's going to be okay. So I'm just going to keep serving until I get to that point. Can I just tell you as a follower of Jesus, you've already hit that point. That is the redemption that we have in Jesus. He purchased you. Through the cross, he purchased you. You don't have to earn his love. Church, you don't have to earn his love. He already, when you were still a sinner, he loved you. Right? That's what truth says. The word of God tells us that even in that place, he loved us. And so we don't serve in a way to try to earn God's favor, to try to earn his love. He already loves you. That's done. We serve because we want to bring him honor and glory. We serve because we are signposts pointing to each other, pointing to everyone else and saying, hey, everybody, look at how great Jesus is. That's why we serve. That's why we serve. One last little story, and, and I'll wrap it up. Once upon a time, this wasn't known, this church wasn't known as Woodside Romeo. It was known as Stone Ridge. And once upon a time before that, it was known as First Baptist Church of Romeo. And once upon a time, First Baptist Church of Romeo, man, it was, it was a fun time at First Baptist Church of Romeo. Like the choir loft, that's not there anymore. The choir loft was filled up. Right? The kids' area was hopping. The fellowship was strong. I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what happened. I know all of a sudden the choir loft was empty. There weren't very many kids coming. And the congregation was sparse at best. In fact, let's just say there was a remnant of people left. But here's what that remnant did. That remnant said, we're going to be faithful to studying the Word of God together. We're going to break bread together. We're going to be generous together. We're going to serve together. To the glory of God, we're going to keep serving together. And the Lord did something so powerful out of that remnant. The new pastors continue to come. The church continued to grow and grow and grow. And said, we're not letting go of this legacy. This is who we are. And I hope when you look around, that's the legacy that you see today. Because what I see people who are quick to love and quick to serve, quick to open the Word of God and study the Word together, quick to encourage each other. And so it just makes me think, what's the potential? Not of all of Woodside. I mean, all of Woodside. You take 14 campuses and all the people that go to all the campuses, I mean, that's, that to me, that's mind-blowing. Let's just talk about one campus. Let's just talk about here. What's the potential of what could be done throughout Romeo and Bruce, and Washington Township, and Almont, and Armada, and Macomb. What's the potential of just this church? If just this one church said, we are committed to the Word of God, to studying His Holy Word, and then doing what it tells us to do. We're committed to fellowshipping together, getting in each other's lives, knowing each other. We're committed to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're committed to generosity. Sometimes there are people with needs in our church Sometimes there are people with needs in our community. We're going to meet those needs. We're going to do it. We're going to be a generous church in a way that says we can do that. We're going to serve. We're going to serve in a way because I want my brother or my sister to my left or my right, I want them to know how great our Jesus is. And they're going to know that because of how I serve them. What's the potential of that church? Because I don't think we've seen anything yet. Lord, you are so good. We thank you for the truth that your mercies endure forever. I thank you for the work that you have been doing for years now in and through this body of believers. 
Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of individuals who didn't quit, who said we are going to be committed to the same things that we read in Acts chapter 2. Lord, I do pray for those in this room that maybe they've been struggling with this whole thing of service and, and why they serve, and they've been serving, but Lord, maybe the reasoning has been off. Will you just give them the freedom to be able to serve because of you? Lord, we don't have to carry the, the shame or the guilt of yesterday. We don't have to do it trying to earn the applause of those around us. We want to serve because we love you and we trust you. And we're responding to your glory and your greatness and your workings. And Lord, for those who, for whatever reason, they haven't jumped in yet, I pray that this morning isn't about trying to stir us in a way. Lord, let your word do that. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds this morning. Let your holy word pierce into our hearts and shake us to be a better reflection of Jesus who said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, we want to be a reflection of our Savior today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning worshiping and praising Him together.